Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program with Coach Menachem Berfeld. Thank you for being here with us. We appreciate it on your Sunday night. A lot of people had a lot of travels today. Today was a visiting day for some people. Some people had graduations today. People had the different things they were busy with today. So appreciate you coming, spending Sunday, Sunday night here with us. And thanks for joining. Tonight is a very special share because tonight is share 150, which is uh, a big milestone. We've been doing this already close to four years, Baruch Hashem. So again, I want to thank everybody for being part of it and promoting it on their statuses and the WhatsApp and emailing it around, talking to people about it. As we, as we learned from Moshe Weinberger, that uh, our program is a Sikhs Haverim, a place to talk through things and get a lot of clarity. And Baruch Hashem, we have the Perlmans here, Dr. Perlman and his wife. One time he came by himself without his wife. I think this is his fourth time here. So, Dr. Perlman, I think you're a stickle, like, you know, stickle partner over here in the program. We split family. the millions together. Family. Yeah, we're family. We split all the big the millions together. So, you know, thanks for coming back. And everybody loves when the Perlmans come back. Happens to be very funny. Right before I asked you to come back, I got an email, like two, three emails, like literally within that that thing. That's what I thought about you. Know, okay, come again. So it's uh, the people, the people's program. So again, if anybody wants to get this, the flyers on Sunday, call WhatsApp me at 848-525-00066 and save my number and I'll send you every Sunday morning the flyer. You can go to menachemberfeld.com and become part of his email list. He'll email you every week the, the flyers, the programs, the replays. And again, for anybody who's watching this on YouTube, you can click on the like button. You can click on the subscribe button. So Menachem uploads the videos every week, early Monday morning. You get notified. You can be part of everything and watch everything. Again, I'd like to thank also the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Chayla Kaufman from JCN, who are always promoting us across all the digital Jewish platforms. The, OK, the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish, Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity, you find the online platform for mental health support to the Jewish community. In OKClarity.com, you'll find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, and engage in forums. Um, Menachem will send out an email with all the information if you want to join their status. The number is 917-426-1495, 917-426-1495. Again, if anybody's here the first time, I don't know, first of all, you, where have you been? Right? Can you imagine somebody who's here tonight the first time? It must have, they were probably they like Roma or something. I don't know. I mean, they're living under a rock. <laughs> they're living under a rock, right? But if you're here, we're, we're not upset. We're going to let it go. We're going to be vulnerable. We're going to, we're going to love you anyway. But hello, every Sunday night, 9.30 on the Zoom ID. Next Sunday, we have a big row from Lakewood, Rabbi Yosef Greenfeld. There's a big row in, Chest, in Chestnut over here, right next to where, where me, me and Menachem live. And uh, we know he's involved in a lot of stuff. And he said he's going to choose, he's going to speak about marriage. So I said, we never talk about marriage. I'm very happy he's going to choose something different. Because, you know, in the 150 year, we basically never spoke about it. But uh, he's going to come with some, uh, some, some different angles. So it should be amazing. We didn't uh, lock it up with him, but uh, it's going to be an amazing program. Please join us. And now we're going to go to the Gematria tonight and share 150. So we're going to have a very special Gematria. Arnaich, are you here? Let's see. Arnaich, we're going to give you a chance for 150. Let's see. What is 150 Gematria? For the milestone share, 150 share, which we're going to be discussing, living and loving vulnerably. We came up with this amazing Gematria, Bisiat Deshmaya. 150 is the Gematria, Evtach Veloy Evchab. I will be secure and not be scared. Building one's self-confidence and being positive with their decisions will help you lead a life which will be living and loving vulnerably. 
Wow. Okay, thank you everybody for joining the share tonight. I hope everybody's enjoying. And uh, that was it. That was that was the main part. That was the Gabachra. I think we wrapped it all up. Okay, let's start off first with the host, Coach Menachem Berfeld, to tell us what are we doing here tonight? What are we talking about? What are, what are we here? Let's go. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, I would like to welcome all our listeners and especially those first comers. And I see there are some. Baruch Hashem, welcome, and uh, with a lot of Siyata Deshmaya, we're doing tonight's number 150, and like we heard, it sounds amazing, the question is how, and that's what we're going to be discussing tonight, how do we do that? It's, it's interesting, before, you know, when I sit down to get things ready for our Sunday nights, I realized how I feed off the, the topics and the speakers. You know, every Sunday night is a different different topic, different speaker. And looking at tonight's topic, I sat down and like took a deep breath, remembering the other times that the Perlmans were with us. And it's it really takes us to, to a deeper, deeper place. And I was thinking to myself, you know, it takes us to introspect. Where are we? Being vulnerable with myself and with the people around me. And uh, I, I could say, Baruch Hashem, from the past few years, with all the ups and downs I've gone through, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot, Baruch Hashem, with, with all the, the steps on the way, whether it's friends or this Sunday night program. After all, all of these programs, I must say, looking back, I think I've, I grew. And uh, you can ask my friends, people that know me. You know, Menachem from before and Menachem after. It's just seeing where, where is it going? What am I picking up? So that itself is, you know, it's a time to thank Hashem. Thank, thank you, Hashem. We're all on a journey. Everybody on their own journey. But just to look back and see where are we? So tonight, talking about being vulnerable, whether it's with yourself or with your people around you, it's really hard to be vulnerable with somebody else if you can't be vulnerable with yourself. And I think part of our mission on this Sunday night program is to help people become to get closer to, to that place. Whether we hear people ask the questions, and sometimes most of most of our audience they sit behind the camera. And when that person has the courage to ask, they're like, wow, how could they open up like that? How could they ask that question? And then you have others sitting there and thinking, that's exactly the question I wanted to ask. And I'm glad somebody else ask, is asking it. Or they get the feeling that I'm not alone in this. A lot of people might think I'm, I'm, I'm home struggling with my struggles, but where am I going to get help? And here you, you, you go out Sunday night to come to the program. And you get to hear other people are going through the same, similar things. And there are ideas. There are people that can help. And it, it gets us closer to that place where we could say, maybe I can reach out for help. Maybe it's time to say, I can't do this myself. And to admit, which could be hard, that we're human. Sometimes it's hard to admit. You know, we try to do everything ourselves. And I'm, you don't ask for favors. It's fine, I'll work it out. And when people have struggles, they struggle all on their own. And it could be very, very hard. 
So this is part of our mission. And especially tonight, I believe tonight we'll go much, much deeper. But even thinking about basics, asking for help, that's, for that, you have to be vulnerable. I need help. And after getting the help you needed, to be able to say thank you so much. Picking up the phone and telling your friends, you know, last week we spent some time together. I just want to let you know how much I needed it. And thank you so much. That's vulnerable. And I, I know I'm talking about easier things. But tonight we'll go a little bit deeper, a little bit more, and to understand why it's hard. What is it? Why it's so hard? What can we do to take those steps to get closer, closer to the truth, to ourselves and the people around us? So we should be able to live a little bit healthier in Barachnias, Bigashmias, and to come closer to Hashem. So I would like to take this moment and thank the Promans for being here with us tonight. And we need you. And thank you so much for being here. And with that, we shall have Siata Deshmaya. We should be able to help all the hundreds and thousands of listeners in Mitzashem beautiful opening. Okay, so let's just get into it. So again, tonight's share is 150. The topic that we titled it is Living and Loving Vulnerability. A deep discussion on how to be authentic with yourself and in our marriage. Tonight's show was sponsored by Avivit and Yisrael Mayor Izzy Bikli, Leil Nishmas from Zachary Wallstein, our mentor, our Rebbe, and Leil Nishmas, our grandfather, Avram Tzvi Ben Menasha Mikli. And thank you, Coach Menachem and Oshi Partners, for all the inspiration they provide to Klai Yisrael, maybe a schutz for our families. So we're going to have a double opening over here, and we're going to start with uh, first uh, Dr. Akiva. I'll read his bio, and then I'll take it away. Akiva Perlman, PhD, is a professor, lecturer on topics of abuse, addiction, and trauma, a fellow traveler for those who are suffering in silence. He has educated nearly a thousand, probably much more than that by now, from social workers from our community and is currently serving as a professor of Wurzler School of Social Work. Dr. Perlman is the clinical director of ODA's Wellness Center Clinical, which serves the Hasidic community in Williamsburg. He maintains practice on Fresh Meadows, where he resides with his wife, Tamar, that hopefully we'll get to meet very shortly. Dr. Akiva. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, I just want to point out some of the fabulous ODA therapists are right here. And I thank you guys for your presence, your support. It means the world to me. I'm sure you know that. Uh, to see your encouraging uh, smiles and faces and contemplative states, is uh, it, it fills my heart. It really does. Um, I can I just share a quick story, Usher and uh, Menachem. The, the first time I came here, the first time you invited me, I think it was an opportunity. I'm sorry, I didn't say hello to Nachi as well. Nachi, it's good to see you, brother. Uh, very, very dear man. And uh, But the first time I was here, it was, uh, we were speaking a little bit about vulnerability. I think that was like a, the, the entry topic that we were talking about at the time. Um, and I can't tell you, there was one moment when I was speaking, and I was talking a little bit about life, my life, and how it's impacted me, how it shaped the person that I am. And I made the the awful mistake of keeping the chat on while I was speaking. And while I was, while I was talking about something that was very raw, uh, really came from my heart, there was someone on the side, I think a lot of people responding positively, but there was one person commenting, like, this guy has got to go to therapy. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to comment in the moment and say, I'm in therapy, it's okay. I didn't want to go in that direction. Instead, I just, I just sort of had to sit with it and stay with that moment. Yeah. And there, the, the, the wonderful moment of talking about vulnerability yes. with like a real fear. There's always an apprehension when you talk about yourself in any regard um, and your own life. Uh, there's always this, this sense of fear that comes along with that um, because you're revealing yourself. 
And anytime you do that, and we're going to talk about relationships and what does it mean to be vulnerable in relationships, there's always a risk. And I think that's the one thing that we often miss when it comes to vulnerability is a part of its definition is that it has an inherent form of risk in it. Um, it's not vulnerable if it's not risky. Um, so there's always, you're always considering what would happen if other people didn't respond well or wouldn't respond well to showing up, a presence that you bring into that space. So I want to thank the both of you. It was a real human moment, uh, just sitting here, sort of embracing it even on a deeper level, uh, because it was being called out as I was speaking, um, which, was, which was quite the moment. I don't know if I ever shared that with you guys, but it's great. Uh, one more quick thing before we get started. I promise we can get started. I just want to say mazel tov to my fellow graduates. Uh, nah, Benny's right here. Benny graduated today. Uh, we had the Wurzweiler Sarashnir graduation today, uh, where we had a wonderful group of, of male and female graduates, and they're just a phenomenal group of people. They're going to bring so much love and healing into this world, and it was just such a great honor being a part of that. So greatest program in the world. All right, let's go. Um, we did it. <laughs> Um, I believe they're going to make a charitable donation, by the way, now that we mentioned it. That was something that I was told. And for the record, I'm going to hold them to it. That's for sure. So I was in preparation, learning a little bit about vulnerability, trying to go a little bit deeper. Where are the sources when it comes to our heritage that speak about it? And I think that the, the school of Pshisla, uh, where Kutsk ultimately comes from, but Ger comes from Pshisla as well. Um, they speak a lot about truth and vulnerability and authenticity. And the definition that they provide with what vulnerability ultimately means is it means that you're living with a deeper sense of truth within yourself. That's what they say. One of their teachings, which I always appreciated, is we don't have a great deal of writings that came from that school of thought, primarily because they, they always challenge themselves. Will this idea remain true with me, within my own being, in a year from now, or will it not? Um, and as a result of that, they always wanted to stay in a very authentic state of being. And as a result, they never really produce a great deal of literature. They produce an ideology, but not necessarily a great deal of literature. But I've always loved that definition where vulnerability on its greatest, purest form is a way of living with ourselves in its truest form, which means I'm not afraid of the parts of myself that I appreciate I could lean into, the parts of myself that I know to be good, that I could tolerate, that most of us are willing to share with others. The same way I could do that, I could also share the parts of myself that I'm struggling with, the humanity, the aspect of being that is not necessarily as glorious as the parts of ourselves that we value a great deal. It means showing up to life simply how we are with all the imperfections that we live with. And I think it's okay to acknowledge um, that we all do live with some degree of imperfection. It's not something we try to create a world for ourselves where everyone is presenting themselves in their truest best form, but we leave out the parts of ourselves that we find to be largely undesirable, um, which means we're leaving a large part of our being outside of the relationships that we exist in, outside of the spaces that we choose to visit. Um, so staying truthful means absorbing the truth in all its glory, in all its forms, um, the positive, the negative, the indifferent, allowing ourselves to be. Um, and I think for, for many of us, we grow up in a world where so much of our life is about production, productivity, um, the way we, our actions, the way that we live in the world, as opposed to who we are as people from the inside out, as opposed to the actions that we determine and, and we evaluate others by. Um, so we all, to a large degree, and it's something that we all need to take 
some responsibility for. We all contribute to invulnerability by demanding certain things of others, by asking them to, to live a, a perfect form of existence. We're in and, in and of itself creating that problem. Um, and when we think about why we reject certain parts of ourselves, what is that about? Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, it boils down to shame, some degree of shame that we all hold on to. We hold on to something that I, I'm fearful of showing up in this particular environment or in this relationship, because if another person were to see me, see me in all that I am, they may very well reject it. And I don't want to see that part of myself. I need to hold on to, to the parts of myself that I seem to, that, that are positive, that I'm protecting. And, and by and large, we, 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 we reject ourselves first, and then ultimately we, we, we don't allow that part of ourselves to show up in other relationships. When primarily we become, and it's an important point, more externally focused, uh, then we have more of a need to hide. The more life becomes about the way we present ourselves, the way we show up in certain environments um, in its positive form, then the more we, we ultimately need to hide from ourselves. And that's what we call externally focused. Versus <laughs> internally focused means who am I? What are the feelings that I live with? What's the person that I live with? And how could I bring that into a certain space? Uh, moving away from perfectionism to a large degree. I always appreciated a line. Uh, obviously, when you're talking about vulnerability, you have to at some point talk about Brene Brown. And there's a part of me, my heart goes out a little bit to Brene Brown. I, the idea, she's a wonderful person with amazing contributions to, to, to all of us. But the idea that wherever she shows up, she has to be vulnerable. And I can imagine you could do that for six months, you could do it for nine months. But imagine a couple of years in, you walk in before you give a lecture and you're like, well, what am I going to share right now? Because her whole being needs to be a vulnerable being. And that's not something that I truly envy in another person. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that she's willing to take that on um, because we all benefit from it. But I want to read a quote from one of her books. She said, let me tell you what we think about children. They're hardwired, hardwired for struggle when, when they get here. And when you hold those perfect little babies in your hand, our job is not to say, look at her, she is perfect. My job is just to keep her perfect. Make sure she makes the tennis team by fifth grade. And Yale, we could, we could replace that with some other more appropriate names in this environment by seventh grade. She said, that's not our job. Our job is to look at them and say, you know what? You're imperfect and you're hardwired for struggle, but you're worthy of love and belonging. That's our job. Our job is to raise children to create an environment that we live in where we're not demanding perfection of the people around us, but rather with an acknowledgement. We know that life could be challenging. We know that we'll throw things at us that we don't necessarily know how to respond to. And how do we raise children in a way that they could respond to that accordingly, as opposed to shying away from the imperfect life that they're, that they're living? Being vulnerable is challenging. It's not something that comes easy. I think um, to a large degree, it's not something that comes natural. It's something that we need to work on. It's a muscle that we develop and grow um, largely because we could understand what's on the other side of it. It's the opposite of vulnerability. We could call it invulnerability if we'd like, but really we're talking about shame, the parts of ourselves that we're uncomfortable with. So there are many impediments to the experience of vulnerability. Number one, there's the sense of exposure. You're revealing yourself, and now you're exposed to others. They're going to see things that they may or may not like in you. 
And as a result of that, in order to allow yourself to be exposed to in, in front of another person, it's like ripping off a band-aid. And we all know, again, if it's not, not in the water, it hurts. It hurts to rip off that band-aid. I still remember this as clear as day, where I had a client struggling deeply in his relationship, a very dear man, beautiful soul, and but struggling. They're really, really struggling. And I remember we started exploring the idea of what, it, what would it be like for him to show up in his relationship, to be present, to not run, to not hide, um, but to, to show up with all, with all his self and all his being. And he said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. And I still remember when he came back that next week, I wish this was a good story. It's, not, it's a challenging story. It's one we need to think about as well. He came back the next week and he said, the worst thing you ever said to me was that I should be vulnerable with my spouse. Because what she did in turn is she used that information ultimately to hurt me later on in the week where I was, we were having a hard time. Instead of, instead of just talking about what the issue was, what was also brought up was, and you're also weak for being this type of person and you're so fragile for what you, what you said and what you did. And it took them a really long time to recover from that. It took them a long time to recover from that. Um, so that, that exposure, that feeling of, I could really be judged, I could really be evaluated, and I could also really be rejected is, a, is inherent to the process of vulnerability. There's also a deep sense of uncertainty. We don't know. We don't know how the other person's gonna respond. We don't know if they'll like us or they won't. They'll accept us or reject us. Um, similar to that story I was sharing before, not really knowing how that's gonna go. And I think even with my own, my own journey as a person, Forget about it as a professional. I think we're, we're professionals. We choose to do certain things. But more than that, we're people. Um, in the beginning, you sort of begin to experiment. You try something out. You see if it works. Um, but you do so patiently. You do so taking a small risk at a time without ripping off all those Band-Aids at one time because there's that sense of uncertainty. There's that sense of unknown. There's also risk. What if it's going to be received in the wrong way? What if whatever our intention is, I'd like this other person to know me. I'd like this other person to see me. Um, but what if they, they internalize that in a way that, that they judge us and evaluate us and the risk goes in the wrong direction? So we have many impediments to the experience of vulnerability. It's not a simple thing um, for us to, to just simply jump into. The... When we talk about conditions of worth, which I think is a real important idea, uh, we're all raised in, in different environments. Some of us are raised in environments where we're simply told when we were born, when we were younger, we adore you, we love you simply for who you are, we accept you for who you are. And this is a real gift, by the way. This is not something that many people have the opportunity to live with. Some people are given that gift and others are given what we call conditions of worth where they are very clearly told one way or another that the only way you're gonna be acceptable to us and to the world around you is if you hide, if you only present a certain way. I just sat with a, a young man. Um, it's interesting, he's not the youngest man, but as I'm saying it, he's a young man in terms of the journey of his sort of waking up to himself, embracing himself, he's young in spirit. Uh, and that to me is a young man. But he was a man who was talking about um, his experience growing up, where he said it was so clear to me that I didn't want to be a certain way. I didn't want to need to do certain things. I wanted to express myself in other way. For example, and these were all good things, by the way. 
He said, I was more inclined to do chesed than what my family was inclined to do. Yet they needed me to be a certain way. They had what we call these conditions of worth. The only way that you're lovable, the only way that you're acceptable to us and to others is if you are a certain way. And by the way, it becomes so hard. I remember asking him, could you, could you share a few things about yourself that you know to be true? And we sat there for quite a while in that silence where he realized that I don't think I could answer that question. I'm not quite sure who I am. I'm not sure what I am. Um, and that's an, an invulnerable existence. It's one where if I've never really been given the opportunity to ask myself that very fundamental question, then I'm sort of left unknowing. And we can make our way well into our adult lives with that particular sense that we live with, where there's a sense of, I'm not sure because I, I have a certain inclination, but that seems to not be good enough. I need to be something different in order for that to be ultimately acceptable. I remember there was one time, and, and I'm not sure if I feel so proud with the way I handled the situation, um, but it was an honest reaction. But I walked into shul once uh, to daven on Shabbos. Uh, you'll remember the story uh, because I came home early that day. That's why I shall remember that story. Usually I come home at a normal time from shul on Shabbos morning. And that particular morning I was home at least an hour early. Um, and Arby asked me like, what, what happened? And I shared this story. I said, I went to shul to daven, to, to have a moment with Hashem, with myself, um, where I could even more so encounter Hashem within my own heart. Um, and I walk into this environment, and there's a, there was a father and a son, a young adolescent boy, maybe 12, 13 years old, um, who was learning to daven, and the father was sort of hovering over him. Um, and at some point I realized, I think you, you become very sensitive to certain things, um, certain things that you see in the world. And father and son interactions for me are always highlighted because I, I didn't have that to a large degree when I was younger. So to me, even as a kid, I would crave and yearn for that interaction when I would see a father learning with a child, with their own child on their lap. It was something that, that touched me so deeply, even as a kid. And so I'm watching this event unfold and this father is standing behind the son, really making sure that his finger is there at the place again, which is a beautiful thing. You want it to be on the place. You want to daven with the right intentions. Um, but that's not what it looked like. It wasn't a kind interaction. It wasn't a gentle interaction. It was an interaction where you could tell in this boy's face that he was deeply impacted by that moment. He was sort of, if he said the wrong word, he was corrected. And, and, the whole time I'm sitting there holding myself, I'm trying my best to, to pray um, and to connect, but I was just completely distracted by this experience. I couldn't really settle into it. And I think it got to a point, there was Shimona Esrei, where the sun, which is a, a silent tefillah, Shimona Esrei is the time when we have this very brief, silent, connected interaction with ourselves and our creator. And, and there we are at this moment, and this boy was davening, and the father was still correcting him in his Shimona Esri. And like, I finished davening, and then I came home, and then I was asked, why are you home so early? Um, but there was an experience when you talk about a, a shame that lives within a person. I wonder, I wonder, and I, I don't know where this boy is today, but I wonder what his relationship to, the, to tefillah is. I wonder in my mind how it's even possible for that relationship to be positive. Now, I believe, and I know, because I've witnessed this, that plenty of people grow up with this reality where there's a deep sense of shame connected to their behavior and they do find a way. They find a way in their own way today 
to connect with Hashem in the most beautiful, profound way. But I know that that's a journey. It's significantly more challenging for this young man than it would be for anybody else. So when we talk about a, an invulnerability, we're talking about a self. There's a part of us. The more shame we live with, the more shame that's been induced within us. It makes it significantly more challenging for us to be vulnerable. I remember a, a dear friend of mine from high school. Um, I was, I forget what it was, what I was going through. It was probably some Narishkeit, but at the time it didn't feel like Narishkeit to me. It felt like the whole world was collapsing, I imagine. And I reached out to a friend and I shared with him. I was there for Shabbos and I shared, this is what's going on in my life. And he's a, he's a wonderful guy with a, just a big heart, kind soul, um, but not necessarily the most emotionally savvy human being that you'll ever encounter. Not so aware so much of his emotions. Um, and I remember him, he was reading the New York Times at the time. He's sitting there behind his paper. He kind of folds the corner. There's a way to do it. He's like, here, he folds the corner. He goes, do I look like I'm your therapist or something? <laughs> that was his reaction. And I remember sitting there like sharing, you know, you share your heart with another person. You're vulnerable about that experience. And there he is saying like, please stop. This is a little bit too much. I can't really handle it too much. Um, and it was, it was so perfectly stated that I had to enjoy the moment and sort of lean into that space as much as I possibly could. Uh, but it kind of shows you that journey of not, not everybody receives this reality. And especially when we make our way into relationships, we first start with ourselves. We have to have the internal courage uh, to be vulnerable with another, but then we need to also create possibly at times slowly, my wife will speak about this a little bit more, create space for that vulnerability, uh, to bring that vulnerability into another relationship. So the journey of, of, of embracing ourselves, our vulnerability, requires a great deal of strength. It requires a great deal of holding on to your own heart and saying, yes, I have imperfections. And yes, I'm imperfect. And that's okay. That's really okay. It's not asked of me to be perfect. It's asked of me to be truthful. It's asked of me to be honest. I would like to have a life where I feel connected to myself and to the world around me. And the closest way that we could do that is by embracing ourselves wholesomely, authentically, and leaning into that part and saying, I am here. And, and yes, sometimes there's the confrontation with shame, but that's also okay, because who doesn't experience shame? Who doesn't experience parts of themselves that if they had the ability to shift and to change and to alter, they wouldn't take that experience almost immediately. They would accept it and embrace it. And for us, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that strength in yourself understanding that you have these flaws, understanding that the shame that you carry comes from a certain place. It's not something that we're born with. It is something that, that is induced, that is created simply because of what we call these conditions of worth, um, which don't allow us to, to get into that space. So I, I invite us all and myself certainly um, in this moment to embrace the unknown, embrace the uncertainty, be a little bit more okay, even if it's a slight percentage point, to say I'm a little bit more okay with the parts of myself my, that, that I'd rather hide from, because we can, and, I, and we've all seen this. We've seen people who've spent nearly a lifetime hiding, running, fearful, as opposed to being able to breathe and being able to be okay in their own self, in their own skin. And just to end, I'll share another story later, but I want to end with a, a story, not a story, just a line from the Pia Setzner. Uh, one of the most beautiful books, it's, it's Svarim that he wrote. He wrote his own diary when he was in the Warsaw Ghetto. 
that was found, and it was even translated in a few different spaces. That's my L reading as I prepare for Rosh Hashanah Kippur. It's always that same safer because it's so raw, so honest. Um, it's called to heal. The English version of it is called to heal a fractured soul, I believe. Yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful. It's over here somewhere. Hopefully, I'll try to find it in a second. Um, if you have an opportunity to read it, but he said, he said, let us embrace today, for it is the only day that we have access to. And when we talk about embracing, embracing the moment in every single moment interaction that we have with ourselves with the world around us we have a choice of either showing up to that space and being okay with the way that we are or we have the other choice of hiding from that experience and I, what i always feel like the pia setzner was saying blessed memory he said embrace this moment be be yourself be okay with being yourself because that's the greatest gift that you, not only could you give yourself but also that you could give to everybody else around you the gift of yourself and everybody here is a gift. We need to know that. Everyone here has B'Tselem Elohim living inside of them. And as a result of that, we're a gift. And that includes all the imperfections that we live with. And it's okay. So there's a little bit on self and a little bit on where shame comes from and what we need to do to begin to encounter that. And I want to turn over to my wife, Tamar, to share a few words. Okay, let me, let me Tamar, let me just read your, your bio, if that's okay. So people don't know who you are. Okay, Dr. Tamar Perman is a licensed psych clinical psychologist who has worked primarily with women's and couple with women and couples. Framed within the Torah text and Ashkafa, Dr. Perman also lectures on various topics, including attachment and child raising, marriage and emotional regulation, and self actualization. She also runs topic fo focused series such as enhanced marriage, mindful mindful dating, and emotional regulation. These groups provided women with support and perspective on issues related to relationships and dealing with internal and external stressors. Dr. Perlman also teaches Kalas as an opportunity to connect to and to give over spiritual and psychological viewpoint on marriage to spiritually and intellectually curious, but not yet observant woman. So Dr. Tamar, it's always an honor to have you here. She's the only lady ever on Coach Menachem. So that's just, I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna put it out there. So open it up. Let's talk about, let's be vulnerable. Yes, it's, it's an honor to be here. And it's always an honor to be amongst individuals that work to make Klaalisrael a little bit closer to themselves and to each other. So thank you for allowing us to be here. And of course, it's always an honor to be next to you and to present things with you. Um, you know, as you were talking about how Brene Brown needs to show up new in vulnerable places, I was thinking about how in marriage, that's what's required all the time. It's the same two people that need to show up in sometimes new places and sometimes old places. And how do you show up and how do you with the same selves and how do you deepen vulnerability? How do you deepen connection? And how do you build? Um, how do you build on, this, on a relationship that's already familiar to you with two people that are already familiar to you? and with your own imperfections and the other's imperfections. So this is something that I think about and work with all the time, personally and, and clinically. And I can tell you that there's two main ideas I wanna share with you and, and, we will, and we'll take it from here. But a lot of times, because I have this host to work with humans and I get to be exposed to people's internal lives, I, I learn a lot from them. My, my clients are huge teachers, as life is. 
And a lot of times when I learn something in a text in Torah, I feel like I, I have access to it only because I've, I've learned so much from the worlds that I get to work with. There are two ideas that I learned this year, I would say, um, that really spoke to me when it comes to couples work and any marital things. Um, and I wanna share both of them with you today. By the way, speaking of vulnerability, while there's always this place of gratitude and validation when you're invited back, right? It's like, there's a validation in that and there's a celebration in that. There's a new anxiety and vulnerability that's built, which is the anxiety of repeating yourself and the anxiety <laughs> of, of saying the same thing over again. So that's, that's my, you know, um, talking about that vulnerability and also creating space for if I repeat myself, hopefully it's from a newer place. But this feels new to me. There's the idea that, that the beginning of Gullus, which, and we're now in the three weeks, was when the old appeared new. And Geula is when something actually new happens. So I want to think about this, because a lot of times in marriage, especially, when we have a cycle that repeats itself, in the moment, it feels extremely new. I will say this now and he will get me in a new way, even though I'm, quote, I'm talking about his mother again. And even though I'm talking about his past and how he did with his boss that was weak, I'm going to repeat the same things that didn't work before. But this time it feels new in the moment. It just feels like, no, this time he'll get it. This time I'll reach him. This time he'll respond to me in the way I want. So the same old feels new. And what it ends up doing is just cycling this, the old. And geula is actually newness. And let's think about this idea of newness. What does newness mean? So another piece that I was learning that has been one of my lenses since I learned it. It's connected to Rosh Hashanah. You were talking about learning about Yom and Narayim, which are, are coming right up. And it's, it's a long piece for Moshe Shapiro, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to say it in three sentences. Um, that even when, when Hashem created us, there was this, and I, and I don't, you know, I'm understanding this probably on, on, on a whisper of a whisper level, but for, because it helps us understand ourselves, I will share it. That there was an argument, so to speak, between Hashem and the angels. And we were being analyzed of whether or not we were worth being created. And, and there are many reasons why we wouldn't, we wouldn't be worthwhile. And I think the angels were saying that, so to speak, like, look what, look what a human being can do. A human being can really hurt. And during that exact time, as it was going back and forth, and this is what's happening again on Rosh Hashanah, we're being analyzed, so to speak, and we're being created during this analysis, right? It's Yom Adin. So during the ultimate Yom Adin, what happened? There was, Hashem said, Ma midyanim kvar adam. What are you judging or figuring out I already created men so we were created during the space of this unknown like you were saying this place of uncertainty of we it, it wasn't known yet how we we're going to be it wasn't yet known what we we're going to be like but in that ultimate space of being beloved from Hashem he's saying I'm creating you from a place of love not from a place of knowing exactly how you're going to be so I would say when it comes to relationships, that if, you, if we want to create newness that's actually new, 
that doesn't feel new, but just, just um, strengthens the cycle of the old, then we actually have to create real newness. But what does that mean, real newness? So first of all, we never know, like you were saying, what the result is going to be. Newness means that it has never been done before. Growth and connection can only occur in a space that's never been tried before. It's a place that doesn't have guarantees because you don't know. You literally don't know. This is why I've been saying recently that in some ways trauma work, in some ways, in some ways couples work, for me personally, is harder and scarier than trauma work. And I know this is, this is a big statement to make, but I, I relate to it. And trauma work is, is huge and it's delicate and it's sacred and it remains so. But in trauma work, there's always something I can rely on. And even in the dark space, in a hard space, in a scary space, where I can ask myself the question, you know, she's going to this traumatic place. She's going to be there. Will I be able to help her? Will, will I be able to help her bring life into this darkness? Will there be healing here? Will I still like her? Will, will this frighten me? There, there are a lot of scary and unknown spaces, but there's something I do know. I would say almost to a surety, 99.9%, that at the end of the day, I can rely, even if all, all skills fail on me and all attempts of all the trainings and whatever supervisions that I've had fail on me, at the end of the day, I could rely on my love. I could come from a place of, I love her and I see her in pain. It's, it's a straight, direct, it's a direct gift from Hashem. I love her. And in that place, I can at least give her my care. And in that space of care, at least there's some, some comfort and maybe even some healing. But when I have a couple in front of me and I could set them up, so to speak, primed for, the, for a new newness, not an old, new, not an old newness, but a new newness, and let's say he comes from a place of a bit more vulnerability where he shares something about himself. Or let's say she apologizes a little bit from a newer place. And there is this tremendous anxiety in myself where I feel like something new is being created. Like I feel every moment of Yomadin in that moment. And while a lot of the patterns are very familiar to me, and I, I'm no, I, I know the eye roll and I know the... The, the criticism, and I, I expect it, it feels like a painful newness every time. And I set it up, and at the end of the day, will she meet him where he's at, or will she shame him? Will he receive her apology, or will he reject it? At the end of the day, I don't know for sure how the other will respond. Because, and I can't rely on my love, because that's not what they're looking for. They're not looking for that. They're looking for each other. They're looking for something from the other, not from the therapist. So while I can help save them, so to speak, in a place of pain to some degree, the pain of what you were talking about would have occurred. So the entire basically goal of couples therapy is to create successful attempts and at new newness. And the more that's, that's created, the, 
the more growth happens. And we'll talk, we'll talk more about that as we go on. But basically, what, what are the two points that I'm making? That what is growth and vulnerability and connection is something new. So what does this mean? Let's say you're hearing the same story over again. You know the story. You know how you're going to respond to it. You have an, either an internal or an external eye roll. And you even have the right lines to say. You could probably predict the narrative of this conversation. And it depends on how far you're going to go with it, right? Is to pause and maybe listen a little bit differently. Hear something a bit new in it. And, and it, it could be something good. It doesn't have to be something that's hard. I will never forget. You know, there are certain times like the face stays with you. I'll never forget the face. Like I still feel the emotion of it, the face of one of my clients um, in couples work. She was looking right at him. What's interesting is that for him, it was mixed. It was painful and happy, but she was sharing a happy moment. She said, I know that we are closer because when I got my promotion at my work, I wanted to reach out to him before I wanted to reach out to my mother. So of course, his reaction was then, what? You used to want to reach out to your mother. So there's that, that voice that was coming in. I, I felt the energy. But the point was that vulnerability is also in being able to share good things. It's like, can I show up with all of me? Will you be able to celebrate me? Will you be able to meet me where I'm at? Is my level of emotion about this going to meet yours? So the one is something new, something something different than what you're used to before, sharing from a bit of a more feeling place. You said the word feeling, less of an intellectual place, more from a place of feeling. And also the second piece, and you had said to be a tiny bit more connected. Huge movements within a marriage occur with tiny steps. It is literally micro movements of being able to receive an apology without that sentence of criticism or being able to say something in a tiny bit of a softer way. We think of vulnerability as this black and white experience, but it's not. Very big things happen with very, very small steps. In the moment, they don't feel small. They actually feel huge, but they don't appear huge on the outside. They feel very huge in the room. But I'm just telling us that movement and vulnerability doesn't take movement of mountains most of the time right away. But it's really a tiny step at a time, a tiny step at a time. I, I feel like more recently I've been saying this more explicitly in my lectures that, you know, I feel like a doctor was giving a you know, a speech on the importance of exercise. Um, I feel like it would be irresponsible of the doctor maybe to not talk about how in some cases exercise is good, right? It's, it's, it's healthy, it's good. But in some cases it's dangerous. And to kind of point out to, the, to what are those cases? And I, even though I don't wanna spend the evening on, on the cases where exercise is dangerous or the cases where vulnerability is dangerous, I, I don't feel responsible, not, not you know, pointing to it and creating some type of direction with it. Um, it's, it's painful. I used to just say a line, and this is only if you feel safe. 
And then I realized I can't get away with just that line. And I had to be more vulnerable with myself and with you and saying things more explicitly. And it feels extremely vulnerable because I'm afraid to miss any of you. And I know that there are some of you, for sure, more than one of you in this audience who are probably not in a safe relationship. And I don't want to miss any of you. I'm just as afraid to make those of you that are not in an unsafe relationship question whether or not you are in one. Because a lot about marriage and vulnerability is uncomfortable and hurts and mistakes happen and people hurt each other. It's, and that could happen, and that happens, not could, that happens in safe relationships too. But having said that, I'll just make three points about safety. You know, most of the time, when we ask ourselves the question, when you share more vulnerably, what happens to the relationship and what happens to you? In a safe relationship, for the most part, and this is not sometimes, for the most part, vulnerability builds connection and vulnerability builds more security for more vulnerability. It creates a muscle of strength to be able to be vulnerable even more. In an unsafe relationship, vulnerability leads to disconnect and to more hurt overall. And it actually weakens the muscle for vulnerability. It leads to more shame. A lot of times it, leads, it could lead to the information being against you, used against you. And it can lead to more of a feeling of, of, of fear and confusion. That's one. The second piece is that sometimes in a marriage, we need to lean into one person more than the other. If a person is going through a hard time with, with mental illness or with um, a physical illness or just a hard time and things don't have to be equal all the time. This is not, doesn't have to be in that sense. It's not 50, 50, right? It's a hundred, a hundred. Um, and sometimes a certain topic is more important to one person than the other. So if it's more important for her to be with her parents for Shabbos is more, and, and less for him, the fact if they're with her parents more for Shabbos doesn't mean intrinsically this is an unsafe relationship. Again, we can't be, we can't be, we can't do this with thick brushstrokes. This has to be done with really fine brushstrokes. But overall, if one person's needs are always overshadowing the others, and this is especially with emotional needs. If one person's needs always take precedence over the others consistently, then that, that is most likely not a safe relationship. And it can get very confusing because sometimes the person can say this is for the relationship. But this is, if you cared about us, then this would matter to you. And that's a confusing line in an unsafe relationship because that, yeah, if relationships matter, and sometimes like we need to sacrifice and be givers. But the piece that's missing in an unsafe relationship is that in connection, it's not about the extension of your needs, or this will make me feel more comfortable all the time. But it's about a real meeting of two people's narratives and two people's lives and two people's needs and two people's realities, where both of the narratives 
play a main character, main role, including the third role of the relationship being its own reality, where you're not just extensions of each other, but you're actual two individuals living together and building together. That's my piece. Um, Thank you. Uh, unbelievable, beautiful. Okay, let's take a poll and um, let's ask the, the, the questions and we're gonna jump into some uh, powerful questions, okay? Really get into it. You're funny. Okay. Yeah, let me know if you can see the poll, Menachem. We can see it. Okay. Here we go. Some really deep. This is this is really deep thought out polls. <laughs> now, the first question: How comfortable are you with being vulnerable and open with your emotions in a marriage? Okay. Three options: Either A, very vulnerable. I'm freely express my emotions and vulnerabilities. Option B, somewhat comfortable. I try to be open, sometimes find it challenging. Or C, not very comfortable. I struggle to express my emotions and vulnerabilities. Second question, which factor do you believe contributes the most to fostering authenticity in a marriage? Four options, open communication and active listening, trust and mutual respect, C, emotional intelligence and self-awareness, or D, willing to embrace the vulnerability and take risks. Third question, which of the following do you find the most challenging when it comes to being vulnerable in your marriage? Four possible options. Option A, fear of rejection or judgment. B, past experiences that, it made, that made me guarded. C, difficulty in identifying expressing emotions. Or D, lack of trust in my partner's response. And the fourth question, in your opinion, what is the key benefit of embracing vulnerability and authenticity in your marriage? What do you gain by it at the end of the day? It's a good line, but what's the, what, what's the takeaway? A, deeper emotional connection and intimacy. B, enhanced trust and understanding between partners. C, improved problem solving and conflict resolution. Or D, greater personal growth and self-discovery. I think these are the deepest polls we ever had, Menachem. <laughs> these are quite deep, guys. They really are. And by the way, there's no right or wrong answer, so it's just your opinion. They're so essential overall. Take them a few seconds. Okay, we're going to end the polls. We're going to share it. And if you guys have any comments on it, please uh, let us know. And we're going to jump in. We're going to start off first with a live question, if that's okay. Okay, let's end the polls. Five, four, three. I feel like I have to give them a long time because like, you have to think of the question, you have to think of the answer. <laughs> Nachum, this is like a share in itself, the polls. Okay, if you answer wrong, it's fine. Okay, no, if the answer wrong, it's not okay. Well, we throw it's them okay. It's okay. We accept. <laughs> throw them right off. Not perfect. Okay, let's share with everybody. Here we go. Share the results. Here we go. First poll. Very interesting. How comfortable are you being vulnerable and open with your emotions in marriage? 27% very comfortable, 22% not very comfortable. And the middle answer, B, 51%, mo more than half the people here, somewhat comfortable. I try to be open, but sometimes I find it challenging. So this is what most people on our share tonight feel. Dr. Broman, Mrs. Broman, any comments? We'll go to the second one. I was thinking that it's it's... 
vulnerability is not within itself is not fully comfortable. But I think to be able to say that there is comfort within our relationship around vulnerability is is really the goal. Right. But the whole, but intrinsic to the concept of vulnerability is some discomfort from from the place of newness and unknown. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if if it, all this would be different if it were not posed in the context of a relationship. Right. Meaning, if it was just about vulnerability with oneself and the world around them friendships, relationships, siblings, I wonder if it would be different. And when you're looking at like 51% saying somewhat comfortable, I feel like that's very representative of the way we live to a large degree. We're seeking authenticity, but it's hard. Yeah. And there's that muscle that we're talking about developing and building so we could get to a place where we could, you know, even share the things about ourselves that are harder um, to share in general. Yeah, I know that we had. It's not. A, it's it, this is a personal experience, but it happens to play out sometimes in uh, in in a relationship. But there are certain things that we personally confront, where we're saying like it's just simply hard to let another person know this about me, and it obviously becomes significantly harder when it's someone that you really care about and you cherish and you want them to see you in the right light. Um, but there are times, there are certain things that I know for myself. It takes a lot of preparation and courage to even bring in um to a relationship um and and there's i don't know if it's one story to tell you the truth i can't even remember the story but i could just share the an experience of you know building up the courage to say okay i'm going to share something i'm going to be vulnerable with it i'm frightened to do so um and then you do that and then you realize i've been reminded a few times um where you've said uh, usually a week or two later where you're like, oh, that story that you told me that took a great deal of effort, it was, that's like the fourth or fifth time I'm hearing this story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not the first time that I'm hearing this story. This is a part that I already know. The kindness of like just being with it and saying like not commenting in the moment, I always appreciate, I want you to know. But it's always, it's fascinating. The experience of vulnerability is one that is so heartfelt that you, you build up the courage, like it's saying over here, I'm trying to be fully honest, but it's hard for me to do so in certain areas. You build up that courage and, and you share it, but it still means the world to you. It's still something that you have to overcome because you still have that internal barrier that you live with. Um, so it's an amazing thing that simply plays out in relationships, but it starts on a personal level. Okay, let's go to the second question. Which factor do you believe contributes the most to fostering, fostering authenticity in a marriage? So you have over here 25% open communication, active listening. The winning answer, which we spoke about this before, trust and mutual respect is 45%. 10% is emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and 19% willingness to embrace vulnerability and take risks. So it seems like trust and mutual respect is like the winner from Dr. Perlman. Dr. Tamar, you agree? I really... I I love the this part because it almost like it's it's so nice when you know other people affirm what you and what you feel inside <laughs> because to me the idea is that like if you have all of these pieces pieces contribute to it obviously the open communication and and everyone probably feels and means something different when they read it but it, intrinsic of the idea of respect is that you see the other person as separate from you there is you're able to see them as an adult that's separate from you. And I think that within itself means that you have a safe relationship, which, which yeah. is, and you have a relationship that fosters vulnerability. So that to me 
Yeah, it's not at all. It's not at all about sameness. It's right. not like I need you to be me in order to feel safe. No, I think it's the opposite of sameness. It's yes. saying I fully embrace the fact that you're different, but it's a choice that we're making. Trust and mutual respect is an actual choice that we have to make um, to respect another that's largely different than what we know, than what we understand. Um, to me, is like the purest form. I always love the Eric Fromm. He wrote in a book called The Art of Loving which is a wonderful book in general. But he wrote in that book, he said like the, the lowest level of love is when there's sameness. It's like you complete yes. me, you finish a sentence for me. We both like the same food. We both like the same line in a book or we both like the same prayer. So there's something about it that's like, we're the same and we're celebrating that. And that's almost like the entry level of any form of love and any form of connection. But we go to deeper levels when we understand that it's not about sameness. It's about mutual respect and about trust and care that is fully embracing difference. It's about, to, to a large degree, it could even be opposites. Very, very different people. But the mindset of I'm going to embrace trust, I'm going to embrace mutual respect. You don't have to be the same as me for me to appreciate you. If anything, I appreciate you because you're a distinct person outside of me. And I could value that in you. I could appreciate that in you. I could notice the difference. Um, and, and the differences will complement one another as opposed to it being a threat. Yeah. I think the next two questions are very deep questions, and I'm still thinking about the answers. Which of the following do you find the most challenging when, when it comes to being vulnerable in your marriage? Now, this is a personal question, right? About you. A, fear of rejection or judgment. Hold on. 29% of people say that, and 35% of people say past experiences that have made me guarded. 19% difficulty in identifying and expressing emotions. 18% lack of trust in my partner's response. Very deep. So again, it's like the fear of rejection and people that were vulnerable, like maybe like Dr. Tamar was saying, and they finally got to the therapeutic place. So they finally said something to their spouse and they got that big smack in their face. So they learn how not to do that. I don't know. What's your opinion on it? Well, I, I may I? Of course. A couple words. The um, when we talk about past experiences that have made me guarded, I'm not sure if people are referring to past experiences in the relationship itself or past life experiences that predated the relationship. And I oh. think that what we're talking about is possibly because I'm going to go with the, the mindset of not necessarily within the relationship itself, but from past experiences in general that have made us guarded. And, and I think you see over here, it's 35 percent. And it's similar enough to fear of rejection and judgment. We add them together. We have the overwhelming majority. Um, what we're seeing, what we hear in this, and it's such a deeply human experience where we live with things inside of us that we're frightened of, that make us feel guarded. And, and it's just an interesting question to ask ourselves and maybe take a moment just to think about it for a moment. Like, what are we doing to personally care for that rejected part? What are we doing to let it know that maybe it could emerge a little bit and we could create a little bit more space for it? You know, when you talk about like a, a forsaken inner child, the forsaken parts of ourselves that we're so fearful of, what are we doing to let it know that it's okay for it to exist? And I think that the overwhelming majority of us live with these experiences. There's shame in us. There's experiences in us that we're simply fearful of facing ourselves. And that work, by the way, I think sometimes where it goes wrong in a relationship is when you turn to the other and say, I need you to cure me. Right. I need you to be the only place 
where by revealing myself, you're going to make it all better. And then we feel really rejected when the person doesn't do that. When in reality, we need to start with ourselves first and say, ask ourselves, yes, I'm sharing it. I'm taking the risk to share it. But how comfortable am I with its reality and existence simply myself? How much room am I, have I given this forsaken part, this shameful part? How much room have, have I ever told it? Have I communicated with it and say, I know you're there. I know what you feel. And I even may know where you come from. But I just want you to know that I'm here with you. And there's room for you to emerge. There's room for you to express yourself. And I'm going to do my best to hold you and contain you when you do decide to allow to reveal yourself. Um, and often we skip that step and we go straight into the relationship, yes. the relationship fix with ourselves rejecting a part of our, of, of our own being. Yes. And we start our work there where we say, yeah, there are things that I, I was embarrassed as a child. I, I felt shame as a child. I felt conditions as a child. And what am I doing to allow that to express itself so I could hold it? I could love it. I could embrace it. And that's not a simple thing for anyone to do. Um, but if we skip that step, the shame hangover in a relationship is yes. pretty intense. Yes. Yeah. And there's this rage that sometimes comes with it of like, and this can happen, so, like, you know, I have a couple that's come into the room where they've been married 10 years and have been 10 years into the relationship or five years into the relationship. Like, how come you're not saving me from this? Like, why are you not, like, save me, save me from, from this experience and, and, the other one is just confused and overwhelmed and hurt. And, and they're both just go further and further away from each other and from themselves. And I think this place of, we can't be saved. We can be met with, we can be, we can be embraced and, and understood and maybe and seen to different degrees, but you can't be saved by another as an adult, by another adult, And, and that sometimes is really, difficult and disappointing and shocking when you're trying to not face those shameful parts yeah. yourself. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. It will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Okay, now the, the deep question. In your opinion, what's the key benefit of embracing vulnerability and authenticity in a marriage? Yeah. And by far, everybody's saying 60%, 59% deeper emotional connection and intimacy, 31% enhanced trust and understanding between partners, only 5% improved problem solving and conflict resolution. And again, only 5% with greater personal growth and self-discovery. It's very interesting. There's like a yearning in this yeah. poll. There's like, please see me. I always love that, that uh, what's her name book? Hold Me Tight, yeah. right? Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Johnson, where it's like you see it over here, this deep yearning seeking of one another. And, and I think that's a beautiful place to start, by the way, when we're talking about trying to find another person that we care deeply about. Yeah. It's just noticing that even within ourselves and even bringing this idea in to say, I'm seeking more. I'm seeking deeper understanding. I, I'm setting the intention of wanting that to exist in my life. Yeah. Um, and that's where we start a journey. That's where we start a real heartfelt journey. Yeah. And I always think about like at what level like are we operating at? And where is, where is the relationship at? And like I think about, I think one time somebody was sharing with me that she had a good cry 
in the morning and then she bumped into um, like she was going through something hard and she had a good cry with Hashem and her tefillah and she bumped into um, like an old teacher in a supermarket and how she just felt like totally open. She wanted to share. She was able to say like when the teacher said, are you okay? And this was a teacher from 15 years ago. She was able to actually say what her cry was about. And then 15 minutes later, she bumped into um, a friend and she wasn't able to say that same level of authenticity to that friend. And she was beginning to question like, what is my friendship about? Like, how do I show up in this friendship? And, and I think that we ask like, how do we show up? What, what, what level of truthness do we live in in our relationship if we were to bump into our spouses in a space of vulnerability and shame? Like, what would we say? Would we say like the place of why the cry was there? Or would we say, no, we're okay, I have a cold. And would the spouse be okay with that? Like, oh yeah, it's another cry. I was cutting onions. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> That's it, just cutting the onions has nothing to do with my mother. Yeah. <laughs> it's onions, let's call it the onions. Yes. Bad allergies, very bad allergies. Yeah, but we got to stop with the mother thing. We got to throw in some other people. I think it's only fair. Okay, let's jump into it. Okay, let's start with some live questions. <laughs> First live question. Hello, thank you so much for taking my question. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, okay. So when someone is very comfortable with sharing their difficulties and being vulnerable, like how should one find the right balance and what to open up about and what to keep quiet to oneself. Um, I mean, in relationships as like between a spouse or friends, um, the problem being maybe being a little bit too overwhelming to somebody else or just kind of more too much of a burden. And the second part being also maybe is oversharing like a sign of being like impulsive in the moment that I have to feel the need to share something or is it something that's something else that's negative that's going inside, like a need for attention or something like that? Yeah. You know, um, as you're speaking, uh, the first instinct I have of what to say to you is that needing attention is a good thing. It's a human thing. We want attention, especially from the ones that we're closest to. And asking for attention, especially in a way that's vulnerable, is the kindest thing you can do to a relationship because you're saying, you matter to me and you're the one that I want to be paid attention by. I'm choosing you, that I want you to be attending to me. And you're really giving honor to your spouse and you're really giving honor to yourself. So it's so that that's this instinct I had is, is this instinct to tell you this is a good thing this is a human thing this is very relational it's kind it's it's good regarding whether or not you know you use the word oversharing and you use the word burden the only ones that can tell us about how we impact them are the people that we're in a relationship with and I think that that's Part of what it means to be in a vulnerable relationship with another is to show up, to try to show up in the best selves we can, but also to see how us showing up impacts the other, to have the other in mind. 
to, to see what the other needs. And as we try to be in touch with ourselves, to also be in touch with the other of what their needs are. And, and sometimes even if we, it's hard for a spouse to hear what we have to say, it, it feels burdensome, so to speak. It doesn't mean that you don't share it. A relationship is a relationship is a sacred, is a sacred reality that's sometimes heavy to carry. And that's part of what a relationship is. It's it's not it's not our job to try to make it light, although I think that sometimes having lightness and fun and and joy is a very important thing. And hopefully we'll get to speak about that at some point. But um, I think I think what I what I'm saying ultimately is that allowing 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 your spouse to to see you and to pay attention to you and to give you care as a gift to yourself, to your spouse, and to the relationship. And to see whether or not this is a source of challenge or difficulty is something that you could ask ask him and what it is that you could do around that. What would you say? Very similar. I certainly wouldn't say it as well. So mm. I think we could uh, stick with that. That's perfect. The, um, but yeah, I think there's, sometimes we check in, we have to realize that we all have a different pace. You know, we could go the, the gender lines and say, men are not as good at this uh, today as, as women are. And I, I always have an aversion to gender lines. Just today, I was uh, at the graduation, I was giving uh, an address and a few people commented like, we never heard a man. I was sharing different things, different moments. We never heard a man share that. And I, I think it's a nice thing to hear, but there's also a sadness in that, um, that like that that's, why is that so unique? Why is that so special? We could all find a way to show up wherever we are, however we are, and it doesn't have to be about gender lines, but it is something to pay attention to that we all have a different rhythm. There are people that are very comfortable in a state of sharing, in a state of just emotional fusion all the time. And then there are others that they're largely they're uncomfortable in that space. And that doesn't necessarily make them unhealthy. It doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make them less evolved. It just makes them less comfortable in a fluid manner with expressing their emotions um, as, as their spouse might be. And I think like, like you're saying, checking in on that and saying, because when you, when you look at it, you could have two people. One is very emotionally uh, invested um, and one is very emotionally expressive, and the other one just has a harder time doing that, not because there's anything wrong, simply because that's not their language. That's... And it could very well come across as, you know, well, well, I'm the more evolved person, I'm the better one, I'm the yes. one who's more emotionally effusive, and you're not, when the reality really is that you have a different language, maybe raised in a home with a different language, or a different degree of understanding of what it means to be emotionally connected to another person. Um, so I think what you're saying, I, I really appreciate hearing it, is maybe check in, maybe ask if let's say you're feeling like a burden and you're feeling like you're you're getting a message of I'm oversharing and it's too much. Maybe there is a way of asking that question of how does the other feel in that presence, not in a shameful manner, but in a way of trying to gain a deeper sense of understanding of what's what's happening between the two people, what's what's occupying the space that exists between us. Um, and it's not always, oh, I'm more evolved and, and less evolved. 
but it's more so about different styles, different ways of expressing oneself. It's very rare to find two people who both have the same capacity to emotionally express themselves in any form of relationship, let alone a marriage. Um, So we need to learn to honor and respect that too. And it's not always a sign of fragility or it's certainly not a sign of that person being less healthy. Um, There's a big difference between running away from feelings and just not feeling so comfortable and fluid and expressing them all the time. One is unhealthy and the other one is largely healthy. And we just need to figure out a way, how do we communicate in that space um, when there's different sense of style between two people. Right. So and, checking in. And I would say maybe that sometimes even saying I'm the more open one is actually a barrier is saying like, don't come near me. I, I don't, I don't trust. I don't trust myself. I don't trust us. I think that within itself could be a running away from the relationship. And it's certainly, and, and, and that type of language certainly doesn't breed connection because you can't command you can't command connection you can only invite it and and saying that i am better than you than at something is generally something that will push someone away not bring them close but it's not saying i want to hear you i want to know who you are I, I want you to show up for me it's saying i'm already judging you even before you try yeah and and i would say that's often the biggest sign for me that someone is 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 not ready yet or is not at a place of connection yeah now we see that i've sat with couples where that was the case it was almost like one was trying to convince me and certainly their spouse that they were the more evolved individual more emotionally in tune um and what what it feels like in the room it's an amazing thing when you when you think about it is the the line sounds so beautiful oh here look at me look at look at the emotional expression that i'm bringing into the room it's almost intoxicating until you take a glance at the other person the other side of the room and you realize they're just feeling so shamed in that experience yes. so diminished so small and then you ask well really if we're really emotionally evolved and we're really so aware is that something we would do to another yeah. Would we shame another simply because they can't meet us at the space where we're at, um, certainly within that language? And a lot of times, and I think that we're going to, we're probably going to, somebody is going to ask a question about repair, because that's usually um, on people's minds, is that that often comes also from a place of a lot of hurt, right, For in a relationship. Like, I've been so hurt. I feel like, I don't want, you know, we're beginning to have a conversation with each other and I, which is a lot of fun, by the way. <laughs> Lesher, Menachem, I want to thank you for the space for us to have this wonderful conversation with each other. We're really enjoying it. There's nobody here, by the way. It's just not. <laughs> yeah. You've been spoofed. I want to jump to this question. This person's a little bit out of line, but I want to jump to, like, there. there's other people before them, but I want to jump to this question, if that's okay. Unmute, yeah. Unmute. You're on. Um, is it me? Yep. Okay. So I, I like recently... the question so much. Oh, okay. Um, so hi, Dr. Perlmans. I've recently been diagnosed with ASD. Um, my husband's also here, so you only have to, you could only say good things about it. Um, uh, all my life, I learned to mask, um, and I never really knew what I'm feeling. Now, my husband is a very safe person, and we both crave to have a very connected, intimate relationship. But it's so hard to me the minute he walks in to know to access what I'm feeling and to communicate it in the right way. 
um, I just automatically mask, which he hates. So if anyway, I could learn. Mm. Mm. I just want to sit. We just want to sit with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you hear a question that in and of itself is so wise. It's like yes. hard to fully understand the question, to be honest, because here you are sharing in such an honest, beautiful, wholesome manner. And the question is almost saying, I'm not wholesome enough, while everything you're saying is so deeply wholesome. Right. Um, so it's a if, if it's a little disorienting in that sense, because yes. I'm listening to you, and there you are next to your husband. You're sitting there together on a journey, um, trying to make sense of the world, uh, which we all are, um, with so much wisdom, you know, asking this question, which almost has the answer in it. I think I think her husband's asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. We hear from your husband. I think it's, I think this is his question because she's talking. She's saying he comes in and he sees my mask. I think you know he's not she, asking the question right now, but it's a conversation I, that we've been having. What's ironic is you're the one that's unmasking in the sense that you're the one that's that's asking us the question, right? And you're saying my husband wants to see more of me. He wants to see. He wants, right? Yeah. I, I'm feeling like maybe we need to, like, what does it mean for him? What what if that he is maybe wanting something that feel like you spoke about that a bit more? Like he's saying, I want, I want more authenticity, you know, um, more directly. And and you're saying I feel a bit more guarded or I'm a different pace, right? Right. Would you want to speak to him? I would love to speak to him. Yeah. Okay. We need a, we need a, <laughs> there's a, um, it, all we could do, all is asked of us. And I think it's an important statement and question. And I, this comes up a lot in therapy in general, which we're not speaking about right now. But we, we often have in our minds, like a notion of what it means to be the fully functioning person, the person who's operating on all levels. And I think most of us are striving to be on some level that person. We want to, you know, be grand in whichever manner. We want to be respected and cared for and seen and noticed and have all the skills in the world. And I think a more meaningful question is what is the most authentic version of myself as opposed to what is the version of life that I'd like to be living? Um, and I think that we all have our barriers in our communication. There's no one, no one here in this space certainly myself included, that there isn't another person out there in the world who has a much deeper sense of feeling and showing up to life and sense of gratification and emotional expression. There's always going to be someone who's capable of more. So then what's asked of us is simply to, to really be honest enough with ourselves and say, do I truly show up in my life? Am I trying to be as authentic? Am I trying to let 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 down the guard and 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 the protection and the mask? Am I trying to be myself? And that's the only question we could ask. And by the way, that same statement applies to someone who has ASD. That applies to someone who has an IQ of 180. It applies to someone who has an IQ of a 40. That they're all that's asked of them. The same way it's asked of every all of us is that we become the most honest version of what we could possibly be. And it, almost in your question, it's a, a question of, I'm trying, and we all have different barriers in different spaces, but I'm trying to be the best version of myself. 
And I believe that's all we could be. And we should congratulate ourselves simply for trying to be the best, yeah. um, what, we, what we're capable of. And there's going to be a limitation in whatever that answer is for all of us. And that's okay. And we're not asked to be something that we're not. We're simply asked to be the purest, best version of what we are. Um, so I think that all we could do is try and learn. And obviously, there are more technical things I could say right now, you know, things we could do with that, that give us skills and enhance that ability to show up better. But by and large, focusing on your intentions, they're beautiful, they're wise, they're thoughtful. And we stay on that path and we say, how could I get to a deeper place, even with whatever it is that, that, that may, be, may serve as a barrier in my life? Um, something that's present. How could I still show up the best I can? And that's the more I try. The more I try to be honest and show up, it's like the more fake I become because I'm trying so hard to be something. Well, could I just ask, are you trying to be that person for another or for yourself? For the relationship or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a relationship thing, love? You know, I try to avoid, like, it really depends. <laughs> and because that's not a real answer. But here I'm feeling almost like I don't want to say more because it really depends. And I'm feeling this, this, this space of, like, the sacredness here. Like, it's, you could be saying more than one thing. And it just, you know, and I think I could speak to more of what you're saying, Kivi, that the idea, like, of showing up the best we can that is what that's the only thing you can build with you can't build with what's not there you can only build with what is you know and sometimes when when like let's say the husband apologizes from a newer place or he or he makes a commitment to something from a newer place and i know he means it let's say he means it and i believe him and let's say he says I'm really sorry I hurt you. And there's even a quiver in his voice and he has a tear. And then she, of course, he cries. He knows how to cry. I've never, you know, she, there's this whole moment of like, and then her response to it could be, he doesn't fully mean it, or he's not gonna keep up with this tomorrow, or he has hurt me in the past, or, or there's parts of him that don't mean it. Uh, he's, you know, he's like halfway in the meeting that he's missing right now. And all those parts are true. I can't, I can't take them away from her. I can't, it's not that they're not true. It's just that we can't build with them. So they're not irrelevant. They're just not useful in the moment. So what, what we're built with is what is, and to lean into the trust of what is, and we build with that. So often I, I don't leave a moment like that. I try not to without capturing what is authentic there, what is good there and until I almost have them identified. It's like take away all the, all the mud and take away all the confusion and the shame and the fear. And what are you left with? Is there a part of him that means it? Is there a part of him that you think means it right now? today. And if she's able to say yes, which is, by the way, not a simple thing, what is harder to be the one to apologize or to receive the yes. And this is to say the yes, this is something we could talk about um, the vulnerability of the receiver and why that's so vulnerable. 
if she's able to say yes from your place to the yes that is really there, they've already just built and something new just happened. But if all we can do is point out the no and the real no, the honest no, for good reasons inside her, we're just not building, we're just repeating the old. Unbelievable, beautiful. Okay, let's go to this next question. You're online. Hello? Yeah, is it me? Yep. Yeah, hi, thank you so much. Um, I'm not sure I know how to articulate my question, but I'll try. Um, this whole concept of love and vulnerability to get that love and to have that intimate relationship seems like such a vital part of our personality, of our lives. Um, and my question is, how about us um, singles that can't have that because we're not in a relationship um, and sometimes being aware of this drive and you know, being into it and hearing about all about it can sometimes take us to wrong places. Not sometimes, it just it does take us to wrong places and into wrong relationships. Um, so I just somehow sometimes find myself like trying to bury that drive, but that doesn't make us happy either. Um, and I'll just add that like I just grew up in like an emotionally neglected home. So that adds that wish for it even more since I never really got it as a little kid. So, like, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Dr. Perlman, we give you first the easy questions. Yeah. I just, I'm hearing you, and I I, I feel the resonance of, of, we feel your pain, and just, it's almost like a wordless pain. You know, sometimes you're at the hotel, and they're just tears. And there's no words. And this is something that would just go in a tear. Um, you know, I want to tell you something. I don't, I don't know you. And I can't make assumptions about you. But I have, I hear you. And I hear the pain of aloneness, which I, I think is, if I may, I know that we try not to make sweeping statements. And we are not the carriers of truth. But I feel like the pain of loneliness is probably of the worst pains there is. And in that space, I first, for what brachas are worth, I, I want to give you a bracha from a place of resonance and pain that you should have a relief of that pain in geula of the opposite of aloneness, of connection in the most ultimate and connected way. But having said that, I want to share with you that, you know, for almost everything that we have, I think about this often, like the idea of gratitude. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to even say this ever in a public forum, but this is getting real, right, with Coach Menachem, so this is as real as it gets, is that for almost everything good in the world, I almost, I feel like I know someone that doesn't have it. And almost like the concept of gratitude has gotten more complicated for me because it's like, I know someone out there that's in pain in this. And what does that mean, Hashem? Like, what does that mean that they're having a pain in something that I'm, we're celebrating with someone else? 
so I have two thoughts on that with you. With you, one is that while what you're saying stands on its own two feet, it's true. May you be blessed with having what you're saying you're missing. I hear that. But having said that, there is aloneness in every relationship. And something you have that you have access to is the, is the relationship with Hashem. And I know that that could be complicated and layered for you. But ultimately, that's something you have access to. That's yours. No one can take that away from you. And you don't need anyone to have that. I'm not quieting the other parts. I'm just speaking to one that's even louder. That that's something you have. You have his love and you have access to a relationship with him. And ultimately, even in the most complete relationships, the most wholesome ones that I bless you with, I mean that, I really do. There is aloneness and separateness and only a space between you and Hashem can fulfill that spot. And you have that. So I would, I'm just creating light to that space for you. And the second is, is, is you just sharing here with us, with Klal Israel, if there is any peace or repair or comfort that, you know, this program, Coach Menachem and, um, and the staff and the space creates for you that here you are sharing yourself with your sisters and your brothers. And, and I'm sure not just myself and Akiva, there's people that are really feeling you and are with you. And in this space right here, this reality that was allowed, the space that was inspired by the program, you're not alone. We're here with you, all of us, 642 people. Mm. Joining you in that moment, because that's the best thing we could do with our time right now and with our hearts. It's a beautiful question filled with yearning and desire. Mm. And may all those yearnings and desires come true. I love that what you said, and it's true, we don't speak about it enough, that even in the deepest of spaces, yes. in connection with another, there is a loneliness that we still need to live with yes. in whatever context, because that's what it means to be alive. Dr. Perlman, you ready for the next question? Yes, but notice, by the way, Mr. Parnas, if I may, that you wanted to just stay in the space a tiny bit longer. <laughs> there are moments in Coach Menachem that are just powerful. Yeah. And yes, what you did say at the end of the day, people that do come here, I mean, we're doing this for a while, it's very growth-oriented people, very honest people, very authentic people. Yeah. As much as we value that in our little world, in our little circle, you know, it's it's a circle. Not everybody is Zohar, or not everybody is in reality to really tap into reality. Just giving my opinion. So the people that are here, I feel very, they take their time and they could be watching Netflix or something else and they watch Burnflix instead. So <laughs> yeah. could I take could I take the moment just a second just to tap into what you said? 
why is it, maybe we can talk about it a little bit, that in every space there is loneliness. You mentioned that it's that that's what it means to be alive. Why is it that way? Saying we can be married, you can have everything you need, but everybody has sometimes that loneliness that they should connect to Hashem because that's something you, you always and you can't take away. Why is that the definition of being alive? It's just a reality of being alive. I don't believe it's the definition of being alive. We, we to a large degree, and I don't want to get too philosophical or existential, but we come into this world to a large degree alone. We leave this world alone. Even when engaging in a very deep, connected space with another, there still exists the self that, is, that cannot be fused with another's being. Um, so as a result of that, it's just a, a statement on the condition of humanity that we live, we live alone. We're seeking fusion and connection. We're hardwired for connection. But by and large, we live with a state of aloneness um, that we're trying to cure to a large degree by creating connections in our life. Um, but there's always that moment. I remember it was a deep moment for me as a teenager, which is kind of paradoxical in its own right, a deep moment in my <laughs> adolescent years, but it was deep in that moment. But you know, you have moments in life where you have a direct confrontation with, with yourself in ways that you can't really explain. But I remember a lot, I had friends in high school, I wasn't alone, I had some deep, deep connections with people, I nurtured them, tried my best to be in them. Um, but I remember I was walking uh, from my yeshiva to the bagel shop in the morning, and I was walking by myself, and there was like a deep moment, and, and to this day, I don't think I could fully explain it in words, but there was like a, a wave of loneliness that sort of overtook me. Mm. And I remember as a 15, 16-year-old boy, like I had to like sneak away to the side to, because I, I didn't know yet what to do with my tears at that point in my life. Now I've got a little bit better at it. Now I, you could reserve it for a car or something like that. Um, but there are lots of great places to let out a good old cry, to, to allow yourself to feel whatever it is. But at that point in my life, I was too afraid of it. So I ended up like sneaking off to the side. There was like a little field over there. and But I couldn't put words to it. But it was just a moment of I feel connection with a lot of people. But there's a quality to an aloneness in the world around you that is something I was living with in that moment. And it was it was to some degree a gift because it could it allows me on some level to know because I have so many dear people who I've encountered throughout my life who will describe that as their primary experience. They're simply lonely and alone. And to know on some level, again, everyone's experience is different, but to know on some level what that's like to live in, a, in with an awareness of an aloneness is something that gives us access to the silent cries that exist around us yes. um, of people who are hurting in that space yes. and wanting desperately to reach out and say, you know, my, my lonely brothers and sisters, we're here to the best that we can to be with you and to share in that space. Because on some level, obviously some of us experience this 24-7 while others only visit it every once in a while on the way to a bagel shop. But we all experience this that we're speaking about, that experience of isolation. And, and it's a gift, I think, on some level to be able to experience everything that our loved ones could feel because it gives us access to them. And while I don't know the name of that person or the being of that person who shared, 
in this moment, I just feel honored to share that space with him. Yes. And that's a gift in its own right. Beautiful. Okay. Here's the next question. There have been several unresolved struggles within our relationship. Consequently, I find myself thinking the necessity of forgiveness. Can I indeed find it within myself to forgive? We had to talk about forgiveness. <laughs> we couldn't just keep it on the emotional level of sharing our feelings. Yes. Uh, forgiveness is a... Uh, it's a tough one. It's loaded. It's wonderful. Yeah, sometimes in couples work, like I, at a certain time when I need to bring up repair. But it's like, wait, no, we're doing so well. <laughs> Don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want you to be doing well in five years also. <laughs> yeah. I want to, just a few thoughts, if I may. Um, I think there's a fundamental question about forgiveness that we should all just take a moment to think about. You know, when you think about one person forgiving another, and I think it's, it's hard to imagine the person who doesn't have people in their life that they need to forgive. Obviously, some people have been profoundly hurt by others, and they warrant a great deal. They need to give a great deal of forgiveness in order for them to move on with their lives. But it's an interesting question as to who is forgiveness really for? Is it for the receiver, the person who elicited or harmed another, that we're trying to give them a sense of, I forgive you, and we're giving them reprieve from that? Or is forgiveness really for the person who's carrying the burden of hatred and resentment in their hearts? Um, and I think it's a really... It's a really interesting way of looking just at the notion of forgiveness altogether. And if you ask me, obviously it's important uh, for the other to hear that, they, that they're forgiven, so to speak, so they could clear their own conscience. But I think on a much deeper level, forgiveness is much more valuable to the person who's granting it than it is for the person who's receiving it. Because when you forgive another, you find it within yourself to to understand that all of us, I think I remember as a child, especially as a child coming from a family of divorce, you develop, fan you develop these fantasies growing up where you're like, I learned what not to do. And now when I, when I have a chance to do this myself, I'm going to try to do it really well or as best as I possibly can. And I believe that's the shared fantasy of most people who come from such a place. And but then you realize that being a parent is not simple, even if you have all the best of intentions in mind. All you want to do is do it right and love unconditionally and give everything you have. And then you realize over time that with the best of intentions, with the best of education, with the best of emotional spirit, whatever you want to call it, there's a reality that we're going to have to face that few of us, if any of us, will ever raise children who do not carry some degree of hurt in their heart of not being seen, not being known, not being encouraged in an area that you may not even know about as a parent. And I think that when you tap into a, a reality like this, where you understand that we're all trying our best, but we're also all struggling and failing at times, um, it allows us to, number one, look at ourselves a little bit differently and certainly look at others differently. Um, where you say, I wanna live a life where my heart is not hardened, my heart is not carrying pain. My heart is not carrying regret and hatred and rage for another person. 
because they they tried. Now, obviously, there are caveats to this statement. There are people who are still in relationships where they're being actively hurt one way or another. And this obviously doesn't apply to that. This applies to things in the past that we're holding on to that have hurt us. And when you think about our lives, forget about the life of the other. When you think about our lives, our lives will be deeply enhanced by forgiving others simply because we don't, we could let go of that hatred. And we could not only acknowledge their own shortcomings, we could also acknowledge our own because chances are we're going to find ourselves in that same position just at some time in the future, in a moment in the future where we're going to have to face the reality that even though we tried our best with the best of intentions, we're still, yeah, and I really appreciate that statement, forgive your parents, heal yourself. Um, obviously, we're talking about with an awareness that you believe that they really try, they're really seeking you, they're trying to understand you. Um, that is something that if we live with our lives become better, we live more wholesome existences. We live with more love in our heart, more compassion in our heart, not only to others, but also to our own shortcomings. And to me, that's a choice, given the opportunity we should take. There's a beautiful story. I have a client who was severely abused by someone in his neighborhood for many years of his, his formative years. The pain, even today, still struggling a great deal just with himself, trust belief. Um, he's an embattled soul. He took the opportunity one day to start to, to address the person who harmed him a great deal. And this was overt trauma. This was overt pain. This was overt abuse. Uh, it wasn't esoteric. It wasn't, you didn't understand me. It was another human being harming him. And he said, I don't want to live with this hatred that I have towards this person anymore. And he had a chance encounter with this man where the event showed up. He walked over to this man. I still have to the, the recording of this because he recorded the whole incident. And he walked over to this man. He said, I want you to know you caused me so much pain. You caused me so much hurt and suffering. And it's hard for me to forgive you because of what I'm living with today. And before he could even get to the next sentence, the, the other man that he was talking to started crying and sharing. He said, I want you to know there's not a day that goes by in my life where I don't think about what I've done to you, where I don't think about how I've harmed you such a great deal. And to just speed up to the end. And it's hard, it's, it's almost unfathomable to imagine a scene like this, where at the end of that chance encounter that they had, which was very deliberate, but it was still chance, there was still the divine that was present in that moment. They, they had a moment where they hugged and embraced and thanked one another for just that moment and what it meant to both of them where he was able to say, you really hurt me and I'm still living with the wounds of what you did, mm. but I choose to not live with that hatred in my heart. And I'm able to look at you straight in the eyes and say, I care. I care not only for you, but I care also for myself. So it's something to think about. Always go back to that fundamental question when we're talking about forgiveness is who does forgiveness truly benefit the most? And almost always we're going to arrive at the conclusion that it's us. It's us because living with hatred, resentment, anger, rage in our hearts, it will impact virtually every aspect of our life. It's going to show up at our Shabbos table. It's going to show up at our work. It's going to show up in every aspect of it. That's just one thought that we could hold on to. And another thought when we talk about forgiveness is that no one walks into a relationship a blank slate. We all walk in with 
with our lived experience, our wounds, our life. We take that with us. And when we talk about the interaction of ourselves and what we bring into relationships, we need to know that it's very often not a one-sided street. It's almost always a two-sided street where we're interacting with one another. So when we talk about forgiveness, when we get really honest, and I think these are these moments you talk about often when you're working with a couple that I, I don't quite have the opportunity to work with as much as, as you do, where you talk about those moments where both of them come to a, a deeper realization that in one way or another, they've contributed to the pain of the relationship itself. Yes. Where very rarely, and it's an interesting thing, most people walk into at least couples therapy or therapy in general with a narrative. And that narrative sounds like, I'm doing okay, there's another person harming me. Fix them and then I'm going to be better. That's the narrative. And you'll notice that in time, that narrative begins to shift, shifts dramatically. Instead of it just being about the other, it becomes about the self that they also brought in the parts of themselves that contributed to the struggle itself. So when we talk about forgiveness, we also need to talk about self-reflection, self-awareness, and awareness of what we bring in to contribute to some of those struggles. Because inevitably we do, inevitably we will. Um, so those are just two thoughts on forgiveness. Who's it for? Who benefits most? And how do we also interact with that dynamic? Um, that would allow us to begin to, to reconcile some of it, not in a very black and white linear way of you need to apologize to me because you harm me, but from a more meaningful question of how do I interact with the other? What are some of the baggage that I brought into this space? How has it also contributed to the pain? Some of the pain that I myself am feeling too, because we, brought, we, we both collectively bring that experience into this relationship. Yes. And as you're, think, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about like the humility that's in forgiveness. And like, while you're saying that it's for the self, it's also a kindness to the other. And in a way, the degree to which a relationship can forgive is the degree to which it could be vulnerable. Because I'm, if I'm so afraid to mess up, then how vulnerable do I have permission to be? But I'll tell you, as you were speaking, I was thinking about like the couple's cases where forgiveness, you're saying like in that encounter, your, your client no longer needs to be afraid of the one that hurt him. And, and I think that forgiveness gets really complicated in relationships when we are still afraid of getting hurt. And I think that it, it ends up being put on a different, almost like in a different realm. There was something that I learned um, about what, about this concept of what a, what an illness is from, I think it was again, Rav Moshe Shapiro. Um, the concept, he was talking about how an illness is always a barrier of life. Like if there is an ill, you know, this is not to be taken concretely, but when there is an illness in a certain system, that means that there is no life flow there. It's a machatzit, it's a barrier. And healing is the removal of that barrier. So the wound is just the consequence of the barrier. The barrier is the cause of the, of, the, of the wound. And a lot of times when there's a relationship with a lot of barriers, but there's very little life flow in many parts of the relationship, then it ends up being a relationship that's very anxiety-driven, which it's like, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, because those are all wounds. Those are all things that have barriers. 
So it's a relationship of a lot of of a lot of avoidance and anxiety around it. And also a lot of, it's almost like an unforgiving relationship because many things that are really just wounds end up being barriers. Why? Because if my barrier is that I don't think you care about me, then when you put the key in the wrong place, it's not just the wound that the key is in the wrong place. It feeds the lack of life flow. It feeds the hurt that you don't care. So in a relationship where wounds are always about those huge barriers, it becomes a really ironic cycle because every little thing I do, you criticize because it's such a big thing, but then we can't have any repair because how can we talk about the big thing that you don't care when we can't even talk about whether or not you made me, whether or not you put the wrong ingredient in my dinner or whether or not you remembered to text me in the middle of the day because everything is the barrier. So I find that those are of the like, those painful spaces when a couple comes in and it's such a, it's such a heavy relationship with so many, where they're so hard trying to seek each other and connect so badly and they really want to, but everything ends up just feeding the barrier and you, you know, you came a little late and therefore you don't care, or you didn't put, you didn't make me this dinner. So therefore you're not, you're not paying attention. And the irony is that there's the need to talk about the huge piece, but we can't even talk about the small pieces. So to that, what I want to tell you is that I don't, in, in my work, I don't even get to the big stuff until we change the narrative of everything wounding to some things building. Because we can't talk about the barriers until we have a bit more trust that we can have a conversation, we can have an exchange that yields connection and doesn't yield more hurt. Because if we can't have a conversation around that, then how are we gonna show up with the big shame, with the big pain, with the big hurts? So again, while there is this feeling of we need to talk about the big stuff all the time and we need to get there, it's again built within the structure of building trust and building connection with the, like the micro opportunities of rebuilding. And only then can we then and actually start slowly removing the barrier. And it's like, I feel like I don't know why we're, we're blessed, like I'm so blessed to see this feeling sometimes between couples when, when something that was a barrier ends up being the place of their biggest connection. It's, it's like the, the place that was causing the most hurt ends up being the place of the deepest connection. And it's of the most beautiful and powerful things to witness. Well, I think if something hurts so deeply, it means it matters so much. Yes. So if it matters so much, it's also the potential for healing in that space. Yeah. And those places end up being almost like the roadmap. This is this is where the connection can build. You know, and a couple's ability to repair. It's not that you, you know, we should always try to avoid hurting each other, but the ability to repair is often is often the strongest indicators of of safety. Basically, when a couple comes in, just say, give me your problems so I can, so I can fix you with your problems. Yes. 
That's basically how it goes. <laughs> you just summed up the whole, the whole therapy <laughs> process. Someone comes in, this is the problem. All right. I have here. the solution. I have the solution. Yeah. Okay, I know, I know it's late. Let's try to hop around two more questions if that's okay, okay? Okay. I know Dr. Perlman had a long day. Um, okay, you're on live. Hi. I, okay, I, this, this is a vulnerable question, so I'm going to read it the way I wrote it to Usher. Um, I've repeatedly felt too much for others to be with in my positive passions and vulnerabilities, especially in my closest relationships, because I was misinterpreted, misunderstood, misbelieved, and unseen. This led me to put up protections to the point where I began to have a hard time really expressing what was important to me. In working to heal that within me, I worked on listening into myself and holding that in me with the affirmation and love that I'd want from others and with others in trying to show up more vulnerably while taking into consideration how the other person can hear it and understand it. But that's still showing up not fully me. There's a part of me that still feels diminished and small in that. Any advice? Wow, you, this show attracts really, really big people. I, I love it. It's, it's very special. Really, really is. And also fosters that, it seems. Yeah. I think what's really special that what you're sharing is like a keen awareness that in the past, there were times where I tried and it was deliberate. Yeah. I really tried and I showed up. And I put it on the line and it wasn't very well received. And it caused me to go a little bit deeper into my own shell, to disappear a little bit more. And it almost sounds like your question is like you're trying to stick your head out of that shell again and say, how could I learn to trust when I've trusted in the past and it's really hurt me? And I think that it's, it's a beautiful question because the intentions are so clearly stated. You're saying, I know where I want to be. I know where I'd like to get to. And I don't want to live with this sense of apprehension and barrier in sort of sharing myself with another because I know that I could get hurt once again. Um, and I do believe just by the way you're asking the question and the person that has been able to show up in the past that, again, with these smaller steps, and especially when we're protecting ourselves, when there's this feeling of like, I know what it's like to feel raw. I know what it's like to feel hurt. I don't want to go into that place. Um, that's a, the intention is there. Uh, and it sounds to me like you just need to take it a little bit slow. Like we said, you don't, you don't start off any relationship and you certainly don't continue in a relationship where everything is laid out on the line all the time. Um, it's something we judge, we evaluate, we test the waters. It's like, I know for me, I was a lifeguard for many years in cold pools. And as a result, like, I can't even go anywhere near a cold pool. It's like, it's like a terrifying experience for me. But like, what you do is you first stick, you know, your toe in and you try to get a little bit comfortable enough with that experience before you start maybe having the courage. My kids are always telling me, jump on in. It's going to be okay. And uh, I'm like, nope, it's not true. It won't be okay. It's going to be really cold. It's not worth it. And and, but that's what you're doing. You're kind of sticking your head out of that shell saying, I, I know how I want to live. I know how I want to be, but I also know that it's hurt me before in the past. So I need to be quite deliberate about it. Take it a step at a time, take a risk at a time. Um, because sometimes when we open up those wounds so quickly, 
um, we, we place ourselves in a position where we could get really hurt. And it's terrible that you were, that people didn't honor what it is that you were sharing the way you'd like it to have been honored. Um, but you're trying today again, and that's valiant and it's strong. Um, and you should continue to have that strength to take it a step at a time. I don't think there's anything wrong in taking it slow. Most great things happen over time. They don't happen right away. And it could be we could almost learn from the earlier experience of maybe it's not the wisest thing always to rip off that Band-Aid fully. Maybe it's testing the waters a little bit at a time, see what that's like. Turns out I'm right. That's how you go into the pool a mm. little bit at a time. There we go. Um, because this way you could manage, you could manage the cold. Um, and but don't abandon the pursuit. Uh, it doesn't seem like you will, but uh, keep going. We all got your back. Okay, I want to jump on this question. I think it's a great question. For the Perlmans, where do you draw the line between your spouse is not your therapist and sharing with your spouse for some comfort and encouragement? I don't want to burden my spouse. At the same time, support from the spouse can give me so much strength. A spouse is a spouse is not there to make his and her partner feel better about themselves, but they do have the power to help. So the question in short is, you have a spouse. Where's that, where's that line? You want to be close. You want to be vulnerable, but you don't want your spouse to be your therapist and you're leaning post for everything. I sense you have a fabulous answer for this one. Yeah, I, I, you probably do too. I'm pretty certain it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually... I actually am still thinking about the one that just left the room and I, I want to say something to her and then I'm going to come to this question. There was a part of me that wanted to tell her that there was like, I wanted to use this word celebrate. The thing she's a seeker and we're talking a lot about newness and, and that was my, you know, we're talking about vulnerability is newness, but there's also vulnerability and celebration and gratitude and in saying like, I have achieved a lot. We have come far. This is where we are. This is what is. And there is vulnerability in that too, in saying like, I think we're always seeking that moreness and that perfection, but especially in relationships, I think it's important to sometimes just like there's that six days of work and then there's that Shabbos in a relationship to be able to just pause and to just celebrate each other and to enjoy each other and to have this experience of like, here we are, here we are, and this is who we are. And, and there is, and this isn't to, you know, uh, put a cloud over the last two hours of what we've been discussing, but it's to add a piece of like, there is vulnerability and celebration too. And there is time and space for that. So part of me wanted to say to you, you've come far. There's what to celebrate in that. And to the question about boundaries and self, it's, it's a really wise question. I think we've been talking a lot about this idea of the aloneness and the other and I can tell you you know when you were talking about the aloneness piece and yourself as a teenager I actually had this thought that the more you're able to be alone the more you're able to be connected like the degree to which we're able to be with ourselves is the degree to which we're able to have space for the other and to to also be there for the other. Um, you know, a lot of times, if I'm working with someone that's had a horrible trauma or any trauma, trauma doesn't need any adjectives. But some traumas elicit more adjectives. And this was one of them. 
And I remember her saying to me, like, when my husband and I talk about this, like, it never goes well. It's never, it doesn't hit the spot for me, whatever he says. He gets too protective. And then I feel like a little kid or he doesn't feel protective enough. And then I feel like he's not there for me. And it's just messy. And then he feels bad. And then I feel bad. So we just don't go there. And I remember after her brutally honoring sacred, beautiful work. I don't remember how long it is, you know, there is no time on movement. Um, I remember her saying, um, and these are also one of the faces I'll never forget, because it comes with a feeling that will always stay with me. And she said, we finally had our first real conversation and we were able to have connection. And it's not that he finally, he was never in the room with us, well, not actively. It's not that he finally learned the right thing to say. It's that she was in a place that she was able to receive from him what he could give her because she had already given to herself what she needed in this space. Until then, she was asking him without knowing to be all of the work she needed to do. And he can't do that for her. But then when she had come to a place enough, whatever that is, when she was no longer asking him to replace what she needed to do, and he was able to comfort her, give to her, and she was able to receive it because she wasn't looking for any more than he could give. So in that sense, the more we're able to be with ourselves, we could also be in connection. And also, what I was talking about being real receivers, when it comes to any repair, especially, or growth and vulnerability, it's never perfect, right? We talk about this piece, like there's a huge gaping something or this huge self that you want to present or this pain. And whatever you will receive is not going to fully fit it. There's going to be some parts that won't be enough. And we're always seeking for it to be just right. But if we always seek, we will never get it if we want it to be in full form. So there's this, this vulnerability in being a receiver of something that's not fully perfect. And that takes an ability to be with yourself and to say, well, these are the parts I'll receive from him or from her. And the rest I'm going to have to take care of on my own. What would you say to that? It's a beautiful big idea. You know, I think that it, it, I forget who it was. Uh, I think it was Bugenthal who made this comment and I always appreciated it where he said he often asks individuals who speak about their marriages in very disparaging forms. He says, well, are there other people in your life that you're willing to share this with? And are there other people that provide you with what it is that you're seeking? And he said, the answer doesn't matter as much as the question does, that the question sort of introduces one to a different reality, which is, are we, are we living a life where, where we're tapping into ourselves, expressing ourselves, sharing ourselves with others, not only, not only a particular spouse, let's say, but other friendships. It's something I always enjoy very much. I have an opportunity sometimes, I work in the Williamsburg community, the Hasidic community, with many of the wonderful therapists who are here. And 
one of the things I always love is going to some of the weddings, uh, the Hasidic weddings, which I get invited to every once in a while. And the thing I, I love about it the most is seeing the men interacting with the men. Uh, there's a brotherhood, there's a camaraderie, there's like a, they're just hanging out. We were, we were there uh, the other day, really late. We, we had a, a dinner uh, for, for the, the agency oh, and we were leaving yes. and it was like close to midnight, I believe. And I think you were commenting on, so like there were like groups of men just sort of hanging out, yes. you know, outside of shul, just, just being brothers. And you were commenting like how much you appreciated that. You're like, that's so beautiful. Here they are with other relationships. It's not just one. Um, and, and it's a question, do we, if we're vulnerable in one space, often we're vulnerable in another space. If we allow ourselves to be in one area, we tend to allow ourselves to be in another area. So it's something that becomes like you're saying, it's, it's our internal work. Are we, are we sharing that? And I think that when the bulk of that goes only in one direction, and it's the other that needs to sort of satisfy something within us. Um, it really takes away from that vast universal experience of being open with the world. And that doesn't mean sharing yourself with everybody, obviously, but it means being open enough that you're willing to share with, you're, you're nurturing many close relationships, not only just one. And I think a lot of the question often emerges from a very isolated uh, you know, hallway of I need this to be the solution to everything else. And I think right. what you're saying is we also need to find those internal resources. We right. also need to be okay and sometimes in not being so okay. Uh, and that's also a part of life. And, and another, just be, even if we share it, it still doesn't take away from the experience sometimes of, of the loneliness, of the angst that emerges in such a space. Yes. We still need to be able to rely on that internal sense of self and always go back to it especially in times of that, that loneliness and disconnect that we live with. Yes. And I'm also thinking about the wives who are like asking the husbands, like who were just schmoozing with each other for three hours, like, oh, what'd you guys talk about? And, and, you know, they say like one line, you know, we talked about this. And then they're like, why tell me more, tell me what you spoke about. Like that seeking of like, how could you speak there for three hours? And like, talk to me for three hours, you know, like I, I was also thinking as you were, when you had that scene, I also had the scene of the wives who are, who are thinking like, how do I have you speak to me for three hours, the way that you talk to your friends for three hours. And again, going back to that place of, of nurturing a relationship that invites connection as opposed to commands it. And I think hopefully that's what we're trying to portray today. Okay, beautiful. I, I just want to let you know I have tons of questions <laughs> live, but I'm, <laughs> I'm respecting the problems. <laughs> okay, so let's go to closing. Um, again, a big, big thank you to Dr. Akiva and Dr. Tamar for coming on again. Big Machazik, so many people, very deep and very vulnerable night of conversation. We really appreciate that. Um, and again, uh, tonight's show is sponsored by Avivit and Yisrael Mayor uh, Mikli. The illness was with Chai Wallstein and the mentor and the Rebbe, and also the illness was the grandfather, Ram Tzvi Ben Menasha Milki. And thank you to Coach Menachem and Oshi Parnas for inspiration. They provide Kleisrol. And a special thank you to the promos they said as well. Mm -hmm. You can watch share tonight at 150. We did already. And if anyone wants to join our WhatsApp status, just what's up us at 848-525-0066 or join Menachem Bernfeld. Website is email blast on menachembernfeld.com. We'll get the flyers, the replays, and everything of all the Shiurim. 
Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. on the Zoom ID, we have different therapists, different abundance, different topics. We try to cover a lot. Which next week, we're going to have Rabbi Yosef Greenfeld, who's one of the most prominent Rabbanim and Lakewood. He's in the Chestnut community. Menachem know him pretty well. So it's going to be exciting. And um, it's going to be deep and meaningful. And um, again, hopefully, there'll be something on marriage. <laughs> and um, we'll take it from there. Again, everything will be on menachemberfel.com. If anyone has any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. And to hear the share on the phone at share 150, the number is 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. And we're just going to go to closing. Um, Dr. Mar, you're going to go first, okay? But first, Menachem. But um, again, Goshishka coming on. Tonight is just so real. We can't make this up. We can't even write the script. It just it just is what it is. Just being authentic, being vulnerable. Somebody was texting me a question. You have to say it. And they were saying they're a very open, honest, vulnerable person. So I said, can you just ask the question? He said, no, I don't feel comfortable. He said, this is what the program is tonight. You got to be vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a good joke. Anyway, thank you for almost coming on so deep. We, by the way, this conversation could have went for another five hours till the morning. No problem. Different angles. But I think the 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 core parts that are so dope that we needed, I think that you we really came through clear. And I really appreciate it. be vulnerable, I, I probably would have fallen asleep. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know. And I did it for you. <laughs> Okay, Coach Menachem, let's go to the to, to, to the to the closing, but followed by Dr. Tamar, then Dr. Akiva. Yes, I want to thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. And um, I think like everybody feels, it's a different space that you created over here and the space that's needed. And we heard a lot of uh, amazing concepts. I just want to mention, like, I don't know, we didn't, we didn't mention it. For those who feel they need someone to hold their hands or somebody to help they should seek out even if we heard tonight that being lonely could be normal and it doesn't mean something is wrong with you but to have someone that you can share it with you can talk about it to find that person sometimes a therapist sometimes a friend and it's not always that easy but to be able to create that and like we heard small steps Small steps are not always easy, and that's what we're looking for. It might be very hard, but something very small, and and to celebrate, like first to see where, where am I? We're, nobody's starting by zero. Like we all come in with baggage, and negativity. We all have we all have positivity with it too. So everybody you know is working towards something, and they have first look. What what do I have? What did I push myself? Where did I get? Which is amazing, and then we can continue. And lastly, is like we all know we're in Gaulus and we're hoping to be Gula, Klaus, Upratus. And like we heard, who is, you know, Hashem is the one that's sitting there lonely. We don't talk about him enough. And uh, to understand that we feel it probably because we're part of him. And amidst Hashem, we should be Zoycha to see the Gula, everybody in their own situation, and the Gula, Klaus, amidst Hashem. Hopefully, before Tishabov. After two and a half hours. Yeah. What's your closing? The natural closing. Yes, it's 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 always an honor to be here. It feels like an enhanced honor to be here today in this space. And like you were saying, Mr. Parnes, that there's no no script for this and there's no script for vulnerability. There's no particular script that someone can follow that this is this is the way it looks it's just 
every relationship and every self has their own unique script that you, even though there's some familiarity to it, cannot be rewritten by anybody else. And, and like Coach Menachem was saying that we are in a place of, of Gullus and we don't talk about Hashem enough, but I, I want to actually close by talking about Hashem. And, you know, when we got the Gematria at the beginning of the year, um, I wrote it down, that there is a natural pachad in vulnerability. Like what Kivi was saying, the pachad of, will I be trusted? Will I be understood? Will I be shamed? Will I stop being pursued? Will he not try anymore? Will she not like me anymore? There is a, what will what will it look like when this part of me is here? If, if I forgive, if I let go, if I trust again, there is a pachad in vulnerability with the other. But I think that the loef chad part is the part with Hashem. You know, I there is a certain there is a certain protection in most cases, which is what I said at the beginning of the of the talk. There's a certain protection that comes with a marriage. There's a certain sacredness where Hashem invites a space that is vulnerable and almost tells us, like, go ahead. Go ahead to do this. I'm here with you. It has, a marriage has a sacredness to it that is the perfect space for the deepest vulnerability. And I bless all of us for whatever my blessings are worth, just a shared hope that we hold on to the law of Chad with Hashem and we go into the Chad with the other so that we have we have that Kedusha and that sacredness to the highest level. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Avivit and team. Especially, it is an extra special space to be able to do this. Lishos, Rabbi Wallerstein, thank you. And thank mm. you, love. You know, I say a lot of things a lot braver when I'm next to you. Mm. It is, it is. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Feelings are mutual. Hey, Dr. Mm. Let's go. I uh, just a a quick minute, nothing more. The um, just gathered from the questions and from what I know about people. Yeah, uh, there was such a deep yearning, um, and I just for a moment just want to speak about hope. And there are plenty of us, and I think all of us at different times but some of us who live in that space more frequently uh, and for longer durations with greater intensity that life sometimes feels really lonely and isolating. And we live in a, a dark, fearful place of forever remaining alone. Um, and all I, my only blessing is that we hold on to hope where we, we strive for a better tomorrow we strive for a better moment, a better experience with another. We take a hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves honestly, like, what are we doing to enhance our lives? What are we doing to challenge our lives? It's always a beautiful question to ask another person, like, how are you treating your life um, with respect, with dignity? Or are you treating it poorly where we're forsaking some of our most basic necessities and needs? And even though today we're talking about some of the highest levels of what a relationship could be like. 
when there's a real sense of openness and connection. Um, we're not losing sight of our brothers and sisters who only dream and yearn for such a day. And in speaking with you and sharing in this moment with all of you, it's dear honor for me, for us, and you're with us in our heart, in our prayers. And we hold on to hope because that's usually what we have. Often what we only have is a sense of tomorrow is going to be a brighter day. And it certainly will be. It's the greatest teaching we have of, of the creation of the world, which, which every day starts off with light and ends with darkness. And we go to sleep and we wake up the next day and it's light again. And that's, that's the hope that we live in. And that's the life that we'd like to live in. So we're collectively in this experience together. Um, but we don't let go of what it means to hope for a brighter tomorrow. And I just bless us all that tomorrow when we do wake up, it's bright, it's alive. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of yearning and desire to make it a meaningful day, a day where we treat ourselves with dignity and respect the way we always should. Um, because what a gift it is to be here, to be alive to be connected with a beautiful community, with a beautiful, loving Hashem that's always with us in our lives, every moment, every step that we take. It's simply a gift. And we don't always feel that, but we hold on to the possibility of the possibility of actually feeling it tomorrow. And in that, I join you and I share in that experience with you because when we take a hard look, we realize that most of us, at least on some level, share in that space, that very profound holy space. Thank you for this opportunity. I always love being here with you guys. Yes. It's really a great honor, especially with you, love. Um, bold and honest, and you always teach me something new. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank Lara. you. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next week with Shem. Yeah. July 23rd with Rabbi Yosef Greenfield from Lakewood. Good night, everybody. Thank you.